I'm just going to pray, and then we're just going to uh, have a short time in the Word of God. Jesus, we, we say that you have won us. You have won our hearts. By your love, by your mercy, by your grace, by your ongoing commitment to us. We thank you that you are sovereign over all things, that all authority is yours. Lord, anyone in authority is only in authority because you have ordained it. And I just pray that each one of us this morning will submit to that authority. Each one of us will be open to what you're wanting to say to us and what you're continuing to say to us throughout this morning. And we pray we won't just be hearers, but Lord, we will put into practice what you're saying to us as well. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, it's been a, such a, a joy to see Evie dedicated. I, I don't know if Evie has a favorite bedtime story. She's not allowed bedtime stories, oh dear. Most kids, most children have at least one story that they ask to read 20 times before going to bed ad nauseum. I remember when my two were younger, one of their favorites was a book called You Are All My Favorites. Anyone read that one? It's not really in the Times bestsellers yet, but You Are All My Favorites was one of their favorites. And although Evie doesn't have this issue yet, Ben and Emily were, I think, curious to find out which one of them was mum and dad's favorite. Because obviously, mum and dad have to have a favorite. Was it Emily, the oldest, because she's the first? Was it Ben, because he's the youngest? You know, the youngest always get away with everything, don't they? I was, I was the youngest. Maybe it shows. But maybe they liked this book so much because actually it reassured them that there was plenty of love to go around for both of them. That Claire and I loved each one of them and valued each one of them the same. They were all, both of them, were our favorites. And the thing is, it's a pretty ugly thing when we value someone above someone else. When we favor someone above someone else. And that is the issue, this issue of favoritism that James now comes to in chapter 2 of his book. For those who are visiting, as Rob mentioned, we're doing a series through James called Faith That Works. So if you've got your Bibles, do turn to chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first half of chapter 2, and we're going to just be taking it in chunks. I'm going to read the first four verses. If you haven't got your Bible, that's okay. It's come up there. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you can stand over there, or, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So there's James doing what he does best, being incredibly blunt. He doesn't mince his words, does he? 
Do not show favoritism. If you do, you're a judge with evil thoughts. And, you know, when we, when we were looking at going through this book, this book of James, we knew there would be many areas that would challenge us to the core. You know, James's heart, however, is to make sure that everyone who professes faith in Jesus, everyone who calls himself a Christian, he wants us to, to make sure that our lives actually line up to what we profess. Because otherwise we're just deluding ourselves. And he doesn't want that. That's his, his desire is not to put a heavy weight around our, our neck. Because that's how sometimes James can come across a bit heavy. But that's not God's desire either. It's not to put a heavy wake of condemnation around our necks. But actually, it's to warn us and to encourage us to keep pressing into God. To keep relying on his spirit to help us to keep growing and not to allow any compromises to creep in to our own walk with God. And one of these issues that James does not want us to compromise on is this whole issue of favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Don't discriminate. Don't judge someone based on their economic or, or social status or race or anything. Just don't do it. Don't allow any hint of discrimination enter into the way that you receive someone. I think if we're all honest, most of us have the tendency to make pretty quick judgments on people. I know I do. We, we, we generally are drawn to people that we, that we think are most like us. We're drawn to people who we think we'll have something in common with. Drawn to people we think we'll get on with. And that's kind of natural. We, we all do that. But even in that, we are showing some form of discrimination. We're favoring some people over others. And you might think, well, it's not really a big issue. But hopefully, by the end of this morning, in the short time I've got, I hope we'll see that actually it's a real issue that needs addressing. And James gives us two very clear reasons why we cannot be indifferent to favoritism. The first reason he mentions is that it simply dishonors the person that we are judging. Let's read from verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Okay, so James goes on to, to give an example of people showing favor in this instance to the wealthy while neglecting the poor. And his argument is it's not only nuts to do that because actually they're the ones causing you grief. They're the ones who are suing you and exploiting you, but also because in doing so you're dishonoring the poor. And just to be clear... James is not saying we should favor the poor over the rich, because that would be discrimination the other way around, wouldn't it? He's saying simply, do not discriminate against anyone. Why? Because you dishonor that person. 
This week, our eldest daughter, Emily, was uh, taking part in a sports-themed assembly where they had to do drama and they had to learn hundreds of songs. But one of these songs they sang was about that whole issue. I don't know how many of you were in this at school, but when you line up against the playground wall and two of the either the most popular kids in school or the sportiest kids in school would pick teams. And this song was sung from the perspective of the last boy standing. And it's quite a sad song. So he goes through this fear of, what if I'm picked last? And one by one, other people are picked ahead of him. The, the person who's the mate of one of the pickers. The person who's obviously the most sporty. The person who's the most threatening and will beat them up if they don't get picked. And it works its way down the list until it's just him and a boy who's got his leg in a cast because it's broken. And guess what? They pick the boy with a broken leg over him. And it's a tragic story. He ends up playing in the sandpit. The, the assembly was quite good. You know, there were happier songs. But how many people were the last ones standing in the playground? There's a few hands going up. It was just that dread, oh, not this again. But basically, this poor boy was left feeling devalued, unwanted, dishonored. And it's ugly in any shape or form. Favoritism, showing partiality, discrimination is ugly, whether it's in the school playground, whether it's in your family, particularly when it's in the church. Because our God is a God who loves every person absolutely the same. And he expects his people to as well. Which takes us on to the second reason why we shouldn't show favoritism, because it dishonors God himself. It dishonors the heart of God. It goes against exactly what we've just read. James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Notice these people are poor in the eyes of the world. The world has already judged them as less worthy as of less value. The world has already judged them, but yet God's heart is for them. It always was, it always will be. In fact, the chapter before chapter two ends with James saying, this is what true religion is. And when James talks about true religion, he's not talking about some sort of dead formulaic ritual. He's talking about, in this case, a living and active faith. This is what it looks like to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The world may judge someone as less significant or less deserving, but God doesn't and neither should we. We, we, we mustn't let ourselves be polluted by the same way that the world judges. We mustn't be polluted by the world's standards. Because the thing is, when we do that, when we do judge others, we're, we're basically positioning ourselves in God's place as judge. And I think it's a hugely important issue, particularly today, when we see really disturbing attitudes to Situations like immigration. You know, in the wake of the EU referendum, seeing really disturbing attitudes in the UK. 
discriminating against people's background and race. And yet every single person, whatever status they're at, whatever nationality they are, are made in God's image and are of equal worth and of equal value. The thing is, James, in the way he starts to unravel this, this argument, he says, look, this isn't just a suggestion. You know, come on, guys, let's all just be nice to one another. It's not a suggestion. He's saying, actually, it's a command from God to love one another impartially. If we read on, we'll see this more. Verse 8 onwards. If you really keep the royal law of love found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it. And he gives this example. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. So so James goes on to mention this, this royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law that's first found in Leviticus, and it's the one law that Jesus repeats more than any other, of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the one he recites to the Pharisees in Matthew 22 as a summary, along with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's his summary of the whole of the law. It forms the basis. This follows so well from last week. If you were with us last week, we had Claire Hartley from Compassion as part of our International Day talking about the Good Samaritan. And it's this very law that forms the basis of that parable that Jesus taught. It was given in Luke 10 as a response to the question, who is my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And we found out last week, it's basically not just people like you or people you like. Okay? Not just people like you or people you like. It's called the royal law because guess what? Jesus, the king of kings, said it time and time again. And this is the attitude, folks, that that our God longs for us to demonstrate and to show this complete impartial love to others. And, you know, James keeps going at this point, doesn't he? He keeps driving this point home by saying, listen, you can't just keep a little bit of the law. You know, you can't say, hey, I haven't murdered, but you commit adultery. You can't say, actually, I'm a really good person. Look, I even love my neighbor. Just maybe a bit selectively. I really love those, those people. But you don't expect me to, to show mercy and love those, do you? You know, they, they, they are so needy. They're so ignorant. Oh, I can't. You don't expect me to love them. Or, or, or they, they are so arrogant. They think they know it all. They think they're so perfect. Really? Yes, really. Jesus is saying you cannot break a tiny bit of God's law 
because in doing so, you're breaking all of it. This is the reason why I've got this balloon. Who likes popping balloons? <laughs> Some people have got phobias of this, haven't they? But okay, imagine this balloon. It's God's perfect law. This is his ways. This is, I'm keeping all of his law. I've never murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. And, and I love, I love my neighbors. Just, just not them. Just there. Not, not them. It's just a tiny little bit. It's just, a, it's just, it's just these bits. It's just a tiny hole. What happens? It breaks. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one tiny point is guilty of breaking it all. You cannot justify discrimination. You cannot justify discrimination. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and be discriminate and be judging and being okay with it. Okay? Again, just to be clear, James is not saying that if you have a tendency to judge people, you're clearly not saved, but rather that we need to recognize this can be a tendency in all of us. And, and with God's help, with his strength, with his love, we need to fight against this tendency because he's called us to love this royal law, this royal command. However, warning bells should be ringing in your head if you recognize this tendency in your own life and are actually okay with it. You're fine with it. In fact, you, you feel the need to even try and justify it. That's not okay. That's not okay. You know, for, we, we cannot be indifferent to this. We cannot be indifferent, particularly as we've been praying about. There's so much discrimination in the world that ultimately leads to persecution. I was in a, a CSW meeting a while back, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, who are a voice for the voiceless. They stand up for the persecuted uh, people of whatever faith. And in their years of research, they've basically said that all persecution starts with one form or other of discrimination. All persecution starts with some form of discrimination. We can't be indifferent to it. Someone once said that the opposite to love is not hate, it's indifference. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. We can't be indifferent to it. We need to fight this tendency to judge people. I know I have that tendency in my, my own heart. And I need to fight against it. It's not okay. It's not what God has called us to do. And so this is where James takes us finally in this section. You know, basically, in the light of this whole issue that favoritism dishonors the person and it goes completely against the heart of God, therefore, verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't you just love that last line? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James here is giving us real encouragement, but wrapped up in a warning. 
wrapped up in a really clear warning. It's, it's, he's reminding us of that sobering thought, that sobering truth, that one day every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the one true righteous judge, to give an account for the way we've lived our lives. As James said, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You think, well, that's a bit harsh. You think, well, actually, Jesus said the very same thing just the other way around in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. A few chapters later in Matthew 7, Jesus says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Clear warning and clear encouragement that rather than judging others, we are, to be sh- we are to show mercy. We're to show mercy. Why? Well, this really is the crux of it. Because we ourselves were shown incredible mercy by God instead of his judgment. On the cross, mercy triumphed over judgment for us as Jesus took on himself the penalty for our sin, as Jesus took on himself the judgment that should have been ours and extended mercy to us. It's because of God's mercy that we are forgiven, that we have been declared righteous, that we have been adopted into God's family. We can be called children of God. We have a heavenly home. We've got a hope and a future, an eternal hope, eternal life. He's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us for this life, to be witnesses, to live the life he's called us to. We lack for nothing because of his mercy. Such mercy we have been shown instead of judgment. And it has nothing to do with what we've earned but everything to do with God's grace. We're saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And and the point is, and this is what we really need to keep in our minds, that if you withhold mercy from others, what it's showing is you haven't really understood the gospel. You haven't really understood the fact that you yourself have received mercy in place of judgment. And that places you under the same judgment. Because your faith isn't genuine. You haven't got the gospel. Or to put it another way, maybe a more positive way, one of the clearest proofs that your faith in Jesus is genuine is in the way that you display and show mercy to others. Because it shows that you've understood the gospel, it shows that we've got it. It shows we've got it as we remind ourselves of the incredible grace that's been extended to us, as we remind ourselves what we've been saved from, as we we remind ourselves that God's judgment was placed on Jesus and not us. As that truth grips our hearts, we should instinctively start to reach out in mercy to others and grow in that, and grow in that. It's a journey, I know. We're all on. And really, that's, that's the heart of James's whole letter throughout his entire book, that, that, that our faith has an external demonstration. It's shown in the way we love others. It's why going out and feeding the homeless is such a powerful witness. Shows that mercy. But we need to show it to everyone. You know, we'll be looking at this whole aspect next week 
that our faith has, a, has an external demonstration. But this law, as James explains, is the law that brings freedom. And that is God's heart for each one of us, to know the freedom that comes from obeying him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I say. There is freedom that comes through obedience. There's joy that comes. It releases us to be the people we're called to be. You know, discrimination, prejudice, unforgiveness, that doesn't lead you to freedom. It leads you to judgment. And that's not God's heart for anyone. He's called us to be a, a generous people. As Amit was reminding us last week, to be generous in our giving, but we're also to be generous in our forgiving. We're to be generous in extending grace and mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Triumphed over judgment on the cross and we're to live out that same truth every single day of our lives. If the band could come back, that would be great. I'd love us just to have some time worshipping God, just maybe just finish with one song and then we'll have an opportunity to pray if you want prayer. You know, this message that mercy triumphs over judgment is good news for wherever you are at in your walk with God. If you don't call yourself a Christian, if you feel far from God this morning, yes, there is a warning here, but it's a warning because God loves you. It's a warning that you currently stand under judgment and God wants to extend his mercy to you. It's an invitation to discover this freedom for yourself that comes from surrendering your lives to him. He died for you that you might know mercy instead of judgment. If that's you, if you want to find out more, I'd love to talk with you later as we close. Maybe you're here this morning you call yourself a Christian, you, you consider yourself a Christian, but as we've been going through this this morning or even the previous weeks going through James, you, you kind of recognize that actually your life doesn't line up to what Jesus has called you to. Well, guess what? There's mercy for you today this morning as well. There's mercy today as you turn from following your own ways and turn to Jesus and surrender afresh to him. There's mercy for you. Or maybe, again this morning, you simply recognize that actually there is someone that you need to extend mercy to. Maybe it's someone who's hurt you. Maybe you feel every right to harbor that hurt and to take offense. But again, the invitation to you this morning is allow mercy to triumph over judgment. Why? Because you've received mercy from God instead of judgment. Why don't you start this morning by confessing that unrepentance to God, repenting, and then asking him for the love for that person, asking him for the strength to forgive that person. Or it might even be a people group. I don't know. Just pray that God will reveal that to you this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Shall we all just stand to our feet if we're able to? I'm just going to pray and maybe we'll just worship God.